Hey everyone, it's Paige here and I'll be your host this morning. We're so glad you've joined us online together this morning. If this is your first time here, then an extra special welcome to you. If you're looking to stay informed about any church updates, prayer requests, ministry information, or really any need to know information about our church and community, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or head over to cedarvalley.ca and sign up for our weekly email newsletters. We're sending out midweek devotionals, summer event information, fall information about what our ministries will look like, and extra exciting is the email sign-up is the only way to get our kids' bedtime stories for the summer. We're sending out a wholesome, inspiring, and classic bedtime story being read by our teachers and staff here from the church every Sunday evening. So if you have kids, you're definitely going to want to sign up for that. You can also find ways to give to the work and ministry of Cedar Valley and help us fundraise for specific projects like growing our tech and online ministry, as well as sign up for our prayer chain or submit prayer requests. All right, this morning, we're gonna start off with the time of worship singing. There'll be lyrics on the screen so you can join however you feel comfortable. After that, we've got a special kids lesson from Pastor Doug. And following that, we've got Leslie speaking on the next topic in our Ask Why series. Today, we're taking a look at why are Christians pro-life and when does life really begin? Just before that, if you're watching live, head over to the comment section on Facebook or YouTube and let me know, are you a summer person or a winter person? Hot and muggy or cold and brisk? Thanks for joining us, Cedar Valley. Good morning, church family. We're so glad you're here with us today. Please join us as we sing together.
Oh, oh, hey there, Cedar Valley kids. It's great to be with you again today. Um, you know, I was just making some stuff with this Play-Doh. I was doing some creating here. And you see, I was using these two molds here. And uh, one is of a strawberry and one is of a pear. I've actually got two already made here. And I was using these because I wanted to make this one to turn out to be just like those other ones that I made there before. And it's kind of fun. And I wonder, do you have some Play-Doh at home? I bet you do. And maybe later on you can... Oh, look at that. It looks just very much the same. I bet you you can make some really neat stuff afterwards. I'm going to tell you maybe what you can do. Well, did you know that God also loves to create stuff? And actually, he created you, and it says in the Bible, right in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that you were created in the image of God. That's right. Isn't that incredible? Now, it doesn't mean that you look just like God. Because, well, you know what? Nobody's actually really seen God. God forms is in the form of a spirit. But what that means is that we resemble God or kind of we're like God. That means that you've been created with a mind to think and to reason. You've been created with spirits inside of you that can connect with God. And also, you've been created specifically to have friendship with God. That's right. God wants to be friends just with you. Now, I was using these molds because I wanted to make something that would look just... There we go. There's another one. Just like the other ones. And with a mold, I can do that. But you know what? That's not how God made you. He didn't make you just like everybody else. Well, in a way he did, he made you as a person. So we're all people, but he made you unique. He made us with differences. And that's pretty cool. And that's just how God made you. Now, in the Bible, in Psalm 139, do you know what it says? Let me read it for you. He said that God made all the delicate inner parts of your body. God knew you even before you were born. While you were developing inside your mother's womb, God was watching over you and he was creating you. That is so cool. And you know what? You were so precious to him. That means that he cares for you so much. And do you know what Jesus said in the book of Luke? He said that every single hair on your head is numbered. That's how well he knows you. Now, it would take God a lot less time to count my hair than it would be to count some of your hair. But that's okay, because it doesn't matter if you have a lot of hair or not very much hair, or it doesn't matter how you look, God loves you so much. Oh, and you know how much he loves you? He loves you with all of the love that he has, which is pretty awesome. It even talks in the Bible 
in the book of Deuteronomy and Zechariah that you are the apple of God's eye. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to say. And what does that really mean? Well, it means that you were really precious to God. And while I was making these things here, I didn't actually have an apple mold, but I have a strawberry and a pear mold. So, you know, maybe today we can be the strawberry or the pear of God's eye. That means that we're pretty precious to God. He loves us so much, and that's why he made this big family for us to be a part of. Well, I want to show you my family, and if you look on the screen here, you can see a picture of them. There we are. That's me and Jenny and everybody else, Jenny's mom and dad and my mom and our kids and our grandkids. And you'll notice something about this picture. We're all the same, that we're all people and we're all part of the family, but we're different. Some have long blonde hair, some have shorter dark hair, some are shorter, some are taller, some are wider, some are thinner. We're different and we talk a little bit differently and we think a little bit differently, but oh, I love everybody in my family so much. And then I've got another picture here for you as well. Ha! Those are my grandkids and we're hanging out on our swings. And you know what? I like to have pictures of them because I like to look at them. I've got a wallet here and inside of it I've got some pictures right in here. You know, I've got some money in here. Not a lot, but the really important thing inside my wallet, well, those are pictures of my kids. And I've also got my phone here and this is another picture. My grandkids, they're all having a sleep out on my living room floor not too long ago. And I keep them there because I really, really like to look at them. You know what? If God had a wallet, it would be huge. Well, first of all, to hold all the money, the wealth that he has. But more importantly, it would be holding a picture of you. And it would have to be huge to hold everybody's pictures in it because he loves to look at them all. If God had an iPhone, it would be the fastest iPhone ever. And it would have mega storage. You know why? Because it would have your picture in it and the picture of everyone he created. Because he loves to look at those that he created. And that is so cool. The cool thing about God is that he loves you and he created you just the way he wanted you to be. And that's pretty exciting. So, while your parents are going to keep watching the rest of the church service and there's going to be a great message on life, I would like maybe you to find some, some Play-Doh or maybe some a paper and some crayons and make something or color something just about how creative God is and maybe something that he made that reminds us about how much he loves us. Now, I made a strawberry and a pear because I didn't have an apple mold because it says God, because I am the apple of God's eye. That means I'm precious and so are you. So make something that shows how precious you are to God and maybe how precious God is to you because he loves you and you love him as well.
Well, it's been great to be together with you again this week, and we'll see each other next week. Bye for now. Why are Christians pro-life? What is pro-life and how does the Bible help us understand it? Good morning, Cedar Valley. My name is Leslie Miller and I'm excited to be with you today. First of all, I want to apologize. If abortion is part of your story at all and the church has hurt you, I am sorry. We as followers of Christ are called to love people and sometimes we miss that mark. I apologize that in your deepest need, you were not cared for, but know now that you were unbelievably loved by our God. As we journey together today, I'm going to take you through our biblical understanding of when life begins, the cultural challenge we face surrounding abortion, examples of how we change that narrative the church is known for, and four practical ways that we can be a positive influence in our world around us. The topic of abortion is sensitive, no doubt. And if you haven't walked this yourself or known somebody who has, sometimes it can be challenging to understand why it's such a difficult decision and what really are the factors are that go into it. Especially when you're coming from a place of influence, this can be challenging to understand. But think about a young woman in high school. The guy that she's with may not be around for very long. He may not be around to support her when the child arrives. Maybe her family isn't supportive as either, and she knows she doesn't have the support system she needs. The cost of raising a child from birth to 18 is about $250,000. Raising a child in an unstable home has lasting impact on their health, their well-being, and their ability to contribute as a person of society. There also may be medical complications that are putting the mother's health at risk. Additionally, if an abortion was approved or was performed early enough, the judgment of others and the criticism that someone might face simply vanishes. In a country like Canada, all of these fears and complications can simply be eradicated by visiting a doctor or a clinic's office. Hopefully this has given you a bit of context and understanding for why 85,000 people abor chose abortion last year. Because of this high number, we believed this was a very important thing and direction to take regarding the question of when life begins. So let's dig into that. When does life begin? The pro-choice side of the argument and the medical and science community gives us inconsistent arguments in their stance. The point at which life is determined or stated to begin often changes depending on the scenario or what's being trying to, what, sorry, of what is, needs to be proven. Here's a couple of examples to help you understand what I mean. In late-term abortions where the fetus actually survives, it becomes murder of the newborn if further actions are taken, even though very little time has passed and very little development has happened from the time that it was okay to the time that it wasn't okay. Another example is inconsistency in public law. Many states and countries state that if a pregnant woman is killed during a violent, crime, the fetus in her womb is actually very valued and in that case can be considered a double homicide. In some forms of trial, a fetus can be considered a victim of homicide and in some forms it's merely lifeless. 
So the law regarding when life begins is inconsistent, which then makes pro-choice very confusing. So what does the Bible have to say about pro-life? We have many examples to see that ultimately life is valuable. John the Baptist is referred to in the same tense as any other human before he's even born. Elizabeth states that the baby in her belly jumped when Mary, who was carrying Jesus at the time, was in her presence. Jesus is also referred to in the same way prior to birth by the angel when Mary is being told about her life and what's going to happen. Jeremiah is told by God that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Psalm 139 speaks of us being knit together in our mother's womb. And there seems to be no difference between conception and life in the biblical narrative. Many authors state she conceived and bore a son. There's really no time that seems to have passed. The Gospels are also full of stories and examples of Jesus valuing life, especially when others did not. So overall, we get this sense that life is good. Life is important, and there is little to no difference in value between before birth and after birth. In fact, the value is so high that even when tragedy occurs and an unborn child is lost or is stillborn, we trust that God cares for and looks after them too. From these situations and examples, we can conclude that Christians are pro-life. That's our stance. Now, I'm not actually going to spend much time on that because the argument is rather simple from the Bible's perspective. Instead, I really want to spend more time on the topic of compassion and of restoration for those facing or who have faced the decision to have an abortion. How we should care for those who have either had one or not and are now new parents and what this means for us today as Christians is where I'm headed. So there is a cultural challenge at play. There are many groups that are very vocal, both pro-life and pro-choice, in the world who want to slot you into one form or another to make you choose and in doing so actually polarize two groups of people. But Jesus was never one to polarize. He actually came to bring life and life to the full and to reconstruct what the religious leaders of the day thought was correct. Many people, many people will say that this is such a hard issue, there's so many things at play, and that's true, but really, based on what we just saw in regards to our biblical perspective, it's actually pretty simple. Life is valuable. What's hard is dealing with this well, and not seeing this as a black and white issue. I'm going to be bold and say that in Christian circles, the church has caused many who are facing the decision to have a baby or to have an abortion, actually choose the latter. Due to the judgment, the guilt, and the shame that comes with exposing a lifestyle choice like that to the church. I knew of someone who actually stopped attending church when she found out she had an unplanned pregnancy. I was a bit naive at the time and I couldn't really understand why, but I came to realize that it was really because of the judgment of the church that she would face. And I'm not saying that it's the church as a whole, but rather the perspectives and the judgments that occurred from the people within. She no longer felt she belonged in the place that Jesus said we were supposed to welcome sinners to. If we say that we are pro-life, and then we treat those who've had an abortion or an unplanned pregnancy than less, like, than less than, we are not valuing life. 
the very thing that we claim to support and strive for, we seem to be pro-choice in more areas when it comes to the value of life. If Jesus valued life when no one else did, then that's our call and mission too. So how do we begin to change the narrative? If this is the history that we're coming from, where the church is often seen as judgmental, what do we do? How do we begin to change this? I know that sometimes in this situation, things can be really, really challenging to brainstorm and really challenging to think through. So I've got two stories that I hope are an encouragement and something that you can see um, basically as being possible, that changing the narrative is doable. I know of someone whose friend actually was going to get an abortion and she found out that her friend was going alone. And this person that I'm speaking of was actually very pro-life, but she chose to go with her. She chose to love on her friend and she didn't want her friend to be alone in one of probably the most difficult things that she was going to have to do. She basically looked at her and said that you matter more than what I think, which is a pretty powerful stance to have. I commend her for going. It must have been challenging. I'm sure that it was not the easiest thing to do, but she chose to love her friend and to care for her instead of forcing her opinion on her. It's an incredible example of love to put aside your own feelings for the sake of another. Another story is when I was in grade 10, there was a girl in my high school who got pregnant and her parents were pro-life and they basically outright said, like, you're not getting an abortion. You've taken steps to get to where you are and this is kind of a consequence, but we're not going to just leave you there. So they said that this wasn't an option of having an abortion, but they also came and supported her. They found them a place to live so the baby could grow up in a stable household with both mom and dad present. They got them family counseling. It was really quite an amazing scenario. They babysat often and the girl actually came back in grade 12, the same, like right along the same schedule and she graduated with us. Um, I actually thought it was one of the best scenarios that could have happened. And we can take these examples and see that we cannot stand on the sidelines and expect somebody just to go along with our decision, like keeping a baby. We need to step up, we need to be involved, we need to support and care. We have to offer babysitting, we have to invest in them, and there has to be an open door always. And in this scenario of this girl in high school, if the choice had not been to, had, if the choice had been to not keep the baby, this, the next steps are exactly the same. To be involved, to support, to love, care, to have an open door, and to just love them. How we treat a person should not be determined by the decisions that they make. These are two stories with different content, yes, but the key thing about it was that the people in them were not treated differently because of the decisions they made. God did not put parameters on love. He didn't say, love those who agree with you or love those who are blameless and without fault. He did not say to love those who only do exactly as you say. We as a church are called to love how we've been loved. And if we are pro-life as we if we are as pro-life as we say we are, we must be pro-life always. You cannot pick and choose who you advocate for. If you do, you're actually valuing one life over another. So, what do we do? There's a lot at play, there's a lot going on. 
but we follow the best pro-life example that we have, Jesus, and we love radically. Here are four practical ways to do this. I don't have all the answers and by no means is this an exhaustive list, but I think it's a start. The first one is to simply be aware. We as humans often forget to treat others the way we would want to be treated. We often don't think of the story they may come that we don't know. Just be careful how you speak about your opinions on this topic. Statistics show that there's no difference in who has abortions. They occur in every demographic, every age group, every religious and non-religious group. I ask that you be aware of the stories you do not know and to speak carefully and with love. Number two, be accepting. If we need to be a place of acceptance and love above all else to show that we are a safe place, what does that look like? How do we know what we are about now so that we're prepared for who Christ brings into our lives? Are you supportive? Are you kind to those who are around you? Are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry? Are you okay if your opinion is not right? Perhaps our first step at being a welcoming church is being a welcoming follower of Christ individually. If any of these questions just triggered something in your heart and made you think, dig into them. Ask Jesus to show you how you need to change. Number three, be proactive. I want to challenge you to really take a look at what you would do if a friend told you that they were getting an abortion or if they'd had one. Imagine a real person, someone you love, and imagine them sharing this news with you. Imagine their face, their nervousness, their fear of being judged. And ask yourself what you would say. How would you show them love? The best way to know how to love someone in this situation until you're faced with it directly is to practice it. Another way to be proactive is to volunteer at a women's organization. There's one in Abbotsford called Hope for Women by Advocate. And we as a church have done fundraisers for them in the past, so you may be a little familiar with them. They value and support women facing life-altering decisions, and they help them in so many different ways. Their goal is to treat them well. Their goal is to have a healthy outcome and one that is life-supporting. Begin to experience people in sensitive moments so that when a question about abortion comes up, you see the person first and not just a decision that has to be made. Number four, be active. This one's a big ask, I'm not gonna lie, but I'm not the first one who asked it, so that's good. But Jesus has called us to care for widows and orphans. And I wanna ask you if you've ever thought seriously about adoption. Many times people ask, well, why women, like why don't women just have the baby up for adoption instead of getting an abortion? But if we as believers are saying this, we need to step up and support that woman through her pregnancy and be willing to take in a child. Grant and I have prayed about this long and hard about adopting. And yes, it's big, it's scary, it's unknown, that's fair. I would kind of argue parenting is anyway. 
And there are some people I've talked to who can't get over the fact that they wouldn't know the child in their first year of life or their second or third or anything like that. But I serve a God who can redeem time. I know of a lady who, um, she and her husband adopted a five-year-old and they were super concerned that they wouldn't bond with this little girl because they wouldn't have known her for the first five years of her life. And to hear her story of how God has knit that family together and how they have really begun to know who each other are in quite a short amount of time, considering she was five when they adopted her. To hear about that is so encouraging and to know that we serve a God who is capable of great things and I don't want my human perspective on time to limit him. So, what do you think about when life begins? Wherever you lie regarding that or regarding abortion, Whatever you've done or said, I want to be clear that there is freedom and restoration for everyone. Jesus is one who cares deeply for his children. He came to give life and life to the full. No matter what we've done, what we've said, or who we are, he has and continues to offer that. So the Bible makes it quite clear that Jesus was pro-life. Therefore, we as followers of him are pro-life as well. But that statement isn't actually complete. If we are pro-life, our call to love people and to support them regardless of of the decisions they make is included. We can't have one without the other. They are a life that we are pro towards as well. In terms of value and how God asked us to treat his people, there is no separation between the unborn life and the living life. Let's pray. God, we understand that this is a big topic and this is sometimes hard to wrap our heads around and I ask that you would be giving us grace in this scenario. Help us to understand how we need to love people better, how you would love them. God, I ask that we would be sensitive and I ask that we would go forward just knowing a little bit more about how to treat your children. Thank you for the grace that you offer us and the ways that you've taught us to love your people. In your name we pray, amen.